Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. Hope you're having a great day. Raider Nation Radio. Raider Nation Unite. On 920 AM in Vegas and on that very, very important Raiders mobile app. We thank you for listening on that Raiders mobile app. Just go and download the app and then just click on the radio in the upper right corner. And you get the show and the show comes right up. And we're thrilled about that as next week we'll be in the building. We'll be over in Henderson as the Raiders are ready to start camp. They'll have rookies, they'll have veterans, they'll have different Groups reporting, and then when it clicks, it's going to click big. We'll be going to practice. We'll be on the air. I'll be in the building. We'll have coaches and players, and we're ready to go. This will be my 23rd year with the season, and with the team, excuse me, 23rd season. And, you know, I miss Napa. Usually it's up in Napa. We go up to Napa, and we get ready, and we have a, a matter of fact, it's right now. <laughs> my wife reminded me because it's one of our favorite trips of the year is to go to Napa. And it's alumni weekend, and there's a big contingency of alumni. And get up to Napa, you hit, let's hit some of the vineyards and big dinners and all that. And then the Napa Valley Marriott's wide open and bustling, and alumni and legends walking around. That's done for now. I don't know what the plan is going to be like long term with training camp. They'll tell me that when they tell me that down the road. But for now, it's in Henderson. And most of the teams around the league will do it at their home facility because. We're still under COVID protocol, and that's what I lead today. With the big story that broke earlier today, the NFL is on the warning front again. Warning teams of the COVID outbreaks among unvaccinated players could lead to forfeitures. So you're going to forfeit games if you got a bunch of guys on your team that aren't vaccinated and they are getting COVID-19. So this was added today, threatening forfeits and the loss of game checks if an outbreak among, among unvaccinated players causes an unresolvable dis, uh, disruption in the regular season. So if they can't resolve an issue leading into a game and the team that has the players that are unvaccinated or are popping with COVID, they will forfeit. Now, hopefully this doesn't happen. Roger Goodell informed the clubs of the new policy today in a memo. The league has encouraged vaccination for players, but has not required it. Like most of the world, we live in a democracy here. And in most of the world, they're not going to tell you that you have to put medicine in your arm. I believe that you should. I'm pro-vaccination. Like most rational people, most rational people during a 100-year pandemic where a lot of people have died, a lot of healthy people have died really quickly, and doctors and nurses are telling you all about this, most people run to get the vaccine, run. And then there was a big push to get vaccinated whenever your time came up and you found out that you could get vaccinated. If you waited, the elderly went first and then your time came. As soon as my name was able to clear and get it done, I was online the next day. So I'm pro-vaccine like most people are, the former president, the current president, the commissioner in every sport, and 80 to 85% of the athletes. In all sports, the rational people here that want to help stop the pandemic, 
who aren't just triggered politically and conspiracy theorists. And look, if you have something where, again, you cannot take the vaccination for whatever reason, if you're a woman and you're pregnant, there are other issues. I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking about the general population as we tie it into sports. I had a private conversation and an on-air conversation about this with Stephen A. Smith. He's the biggest name in media now, number one. Highest paid guy, not number two, ten, number one. He went on CNN and was pro-vaccine because he thought his voice was big enough to get that message out. My voice isn't that big. It's not as big as Stephen A. Smith's. It was at one point when I was in the same lineup as him and no one believed in him and the guy was doing a two-hour radio show and no one knew who he was. We remain friends. And now he's the biggest guy in our industry, fact, not fiction. And he said something unique. He's using his platform to try to help others. So are coaches in college football, in the NFL. We know that John Gruden, John Gruden who had COVID and takes this very seriously, and the Raiders got decimated last year with COVID. Decimated with COVID. And I've never blamed COVID on anyone. You get COVID, you could be, I got a friend of mine, good friend of mine in my neighborhood who is vaccinated and has COVID. It happens. But what we're doing here is what's happening now in sports is that the sports bodies, like the commissioner of all these leagues, now they're going to start COVID shaming because they don't care. They don't care. They have their vaccines, and they want the leagues to flourish. So they're going to go out there and remind everybody that you're going to forfeit games, you're going to get cut, and there's going to be players that lose their jobs because they don't get vaccinated. And what's going to happen is the coach one day is going to go, you know, this is too big of a headache. I'm sick and tired of him not being able to come to meetings or this guy having to take a test twice a week and we can't have him in certain things. Just get rid of him. That's going to happen next. So Roger Goodell informed the clubs today and everybody seems to be in agreement with this. Now, there's always a minority of people that just want to be different and are going to say, no, 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 no. Don't tread on me. Don't tread on me. Man, don't come to my home. Don't knock on my door. Don't vaccinate me. Don't tell me to do anything. Don't tread on me. And we're never going to change those people's minds. Never. Never. That's why there's Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and all that. I hope you tune in to me to hear sports talk. I do a lot of sports. I don't do a lot of comedy. I don't do a lot of bits. I try not to waste your time. I try to take the biggest stories, lead with them in my monologue, brought to you by PTs, best happy hour in town, 64 locations in the Valley, and then drive a few phone calls, interview a couple of guests, And then I do it again five hours later on another platform. I take COVID very seriously because I couldn't see my parents for almost eight, nine months because of this. And now I'm starting to see my family again. I just got back from vacation where I haven't seen my brother and sister-in-law and my nieces for almost two years because of a global pandemic. So I just try to tie it into sports. So I have a headline today, which is sports related, and we'll see what you think about it. The topic is simple in the Raider Nation today on Raider Nation Radio. How important is it to you that the Raiders are over 75, 80, or 90% vaccinated? I think that's a really good question. That's why I'm throwing it out at 702-365-9200. How important is it to you, the fan of the Raiders, to know that the team is above the league level in current incentives for vaccinations? You might say, JT, I have no interest. Just go win. Just win, baby. Or you could say it's pretty important to you because you care deeply about this because a lot of people are offended, 
offended by people who are not vaccinated because of the doctors, the emergency workers, and all the people who have family and friends who have died because of COVID or have been deathly ill and survived. So a lot of people look at that and say, look, if you don't take your vaccination seriously, you don't take my aunt and uncle and my cousin and my dad and my friend who died of COVID. And that's what's happening now in the media. Everybody's all triggered and freaking out because we're judging everybody on why the non-vaxxers aren't getting vaccinated. So today, my wife, who went to work here, had to wear a mask. Today was a mask mandate. Thought it was really interesting. My wife's vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. She's going to go to work with a mask on. And the people that come to our place of employment do not have to wear a mask. Interesting. And some of them aren't vaccinated. So it becomes a political storyline tied to sports here in the Valley in Las Vegas. And the league has a series of incentives now set up. As of today, Roger Goodell wrote more than 75% of NFL players were at least partially vaccinated, and more than half of the league's teams have vaccination rates over 80%. So that's pretty important. These are rational young men, coaches, people in a football organization who are all rational. 80% of them are getting vaccinated because they want to keep their jobs, they want to win they want to compete, and they want to help their coworkers and teammates. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So the people who are not vaccinated are the minority, and they are not vaccinated for whatever reason, and they have a, an array of reasons why they're not vaccinated. So Roger Goodell today said unvaccinated players will be subject to severe protocols during training camp and the regular season, including daily testing, mask wearing, and travel restrictions. Thursday's memo made it clear that unvaccinated players could, in theory, be responsible for the losses of games and paychecks. Wow. Oh, my God. That's never happened because we haven't had the league worry about a 100-year pandemic until last season into this season. Can you imagine being an unvaccinated player on a team who gets COVID-19 and starts a COVID spread throughout the team and your teammates are losing paychecks because the game is forfeited. The new policy drills down on a scenario that never occurred last year when the NFL postponed five games and moved 10 others to accommodate the outbreaks. A forfeit would be called in 2021 if the following circumstances occurred. A game is postponed by requirement of government authorities or medical experts or at the discretion of the commissioner because of health concerns of an outbreak. Uh-oh. Let me take a sip of water here. Uh-oh. That's big. Vegas is a freaking circus. Everybody from everywhere around the world's coming to Vegas unvaccinated. Let me read that again. A game is postponed because of the ongoing health concerns of an outbreak. Vegas is could be the epicenter of an outbreak because we have more knuckleheads coming here, driving here unvaccinated than any other place in the world, maybe other than Tunica. You know where Tunica is? Have you seen their casinos there? Number two, the league can't find a suitable date to reschedule within the 18-week framework of the regular season. Number three, the original postponement was caused by an outbreak among unvaccinated players of one team. I don't think that's going to be a problem with the Raiders. I think the Raiders have made it clear 
that they want their players vaccinated, and I think the numbers are better than most. So the NFL was able to reschedule all the games that postponed last year, but it's possible that they might not be able to do it, such as playing a game on a Tuesday or a Wednesday as it did last season. And here's the big thing here, everybody. Last thing on this, and I'd love you to call in on this because this is a really big global topic along with the Olympics that's going on and what's happening with the athletes over there. According to the memo, whether to reschedule a postponed game will be dependent on health and safety reasons at the recommendation of medical experts as well as stadium availability. I don't know if you took a look that the Rolling Stones are coming, Guns N' Roses are coming. We don't have a lot of available dates in Vegas. They're booking Allegiant Stadium. They are booking it, man. That place is filling up for everything, soccer, concerts, big things. If the forfeit occurs, players from both teams will lose their game checks. Holy crap. Oh, my God. If a forfeit occurs, players from both teams, including the quarterbacks who are vaccinated and the tight ends who are vaccinated, they will not get paid. The team that suffered the outbreak would be responsible for any shortfall in the league's revenue sharing pool and also would be credited with a loss of the purposes of a playoff seeding. This is big. The reason why I'm being overly dramatic on this is I think that, you know, last year, think of the Raiders and how many players weren't available. Imagine if this was year one of the pandemic and these rules came down. Remember what happened before the Tampa Bay game where the offensive line didn't practice the entire week? Oh, nothing. Tom Brady was coming into town. Raiders didn't have an entire offensive line to practice for a week. No Jonathan Abram. A complete mess heading into that game. I would know. I anchored the pregame show inside the building. Eric and Allen and I didn't know who the hell was going to play in the game. And we were sitting around looking at, you know, our sheets going, who's available, who's going to play in this game. If that happened again this year, what happened last year going into the Tampa Bay game, I think it's fair to say that the Raiders could have forfeited that game. So, again, I don't think this is a big Raider problem, but I think it's a problem around the league because the players that are left are getting really pushed hard, very pushed very hard to get vaccinated. And I think this is an example of sports shaming. So this is the new way that we shame athletes in sports with medicine and vaccines as we tell them that if you don't get vaccinated, you can cost your team a game, and then all hell's going to break loose. And if you cost your team a game and you cost your ownership money, you're going to get your ass cut. You're not going to play. You're not going to get hired by another team. If you were selfish enough to do this and you caused a COVID outbreak, which is possible because we have COVID outbreaks throughout the course of this league here. So all of this is happening now. We'd like to get your opinion on this and, and your level of concern. And if you don't have any level of concern on Raider Nation Radio with the Raiders or around the league, I'd like to hear from you on this because I think it's very important because of where we live now. Vegas does not do COVID well. We don't do COVID well here. If you remember, we were going from 50% to 25% to 50% down again. We don't do it well, and I don't think it's our fault. I think it's the problem here is we have too many people coming in all the time that keeps our economy very vibrant, keeps our casinos full. Do you remember when our casinos were closed? I do. Anybody raise your hand, beep your horn if you went on a bike ride down the strip? When there were no cars on the strip, I did. Anybody remember what it was like to do radio when there was no sports? I do. Anybody know what it's like to be inside Allegiant Stadium, home and away games with no one there? I do. I don't want to see this happen again. I want 
Allegiant Stadium to be popping. I want the Raiders to be popping, winning games, and there, there be no problems. Last year, at no fault, just players getting COVID, last year was a bad year for the Raiders because COVID was probably the biggest story other than late-season collapses because of the defense where they fired the defensive coordinator, Paul Gunther, because they couldn't stop anybody. I mean, if you had to rank the Raiders' season last year, I would rank COVID-1, defensive collapses 2. So we want to avoid that this year, and I think the Raiders are going to do a really good job because I know how serious they are about it. But the commissioner came down big today, really big today with this announcement. I'd like to know how that affects you as a Raider fan going into Allegiant Stadium. And what is the world going to look like in sports with the passport, the sports vaccine passport that I support? Other people don't support it. I'm cool with that. You could vote one side. You could vote the other. I'm fine with that. I don't think during a 100-year pandemic where people are dying, if you have to show on your phone to get into a game that you've been vaccinated and that's the only way you can get into a game with 65,000 people or a concert, I'm all for that. I think it's a great idea. Other people vehemently disagree. And it's a sports topic because we have a new stadium here and a football team. Tom Brady was on SiriusXM. That's the company I work for and do my show every night. He was on the town hall. It was really good content. Want to fit it into the monologue here. Everybody's still asking him about the teams that passed on him. And could the Raiders have been one of those teams that kind of kicked the tires but said, no, we're fine. We have Derek Carr. Here's what Brady said. In the end, there's no better place for me to go than where I actually went was the Bucks. And But you've caused I a made... lot of intrigue with this, and everybody's guessing. Do you care to expose who it was you were uh, talking no, about? The team? No, because there's private things for me that are going to remain motivational for me. So they know who they are. I mean, they know, that the team you know, think they know? Yeah, the teams know who, the, who we're probably interested in. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I mean, everyone's got a choice to choose. Well, it was one of the biggest mistakes in NFL history if, if you were interested in Brady and didn't get him. Brady ended up winning a Super Bowl for Tampa Bay. So that could change any franchise. Franchises that never won a Super Bowl or haven't won a Super Bowl. So Brady is not letting that go. You know, Aaron Rodgers is a big diva now. Aaron Rodgers is really, really hurt by what he believes the Packers did to him. Brady, the only thing that seems unique to him is he's not upset at New England. He's with New England, won six Super Bowls. It just seems like he has a chip on his shoulder for the teams that passed on him. And there were a few, and he's trying to give us all these hints. And he knows that everybody's trying to connect the dots, and he's not going to admit to it. Also, Jim Gray talked to Tom Brady about some of the people who should have looked at him a little bit more closely considering the year he had. I think what you realize is that there's not as many smart people as you think. It'd be a no-brainer if you said, you know, hey, you got a chance to get uh, Wayne Gretzky on your team, or you get a chance to have Michael Jordan on your team. Oh, we don't need him. You know, no thanks. We're, we're good. In my mind, I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, let me go show those teams what they're missing. And at the same time, let me go prove to the team that did bet on me and the team that really showed that they really wanted me and committed to me that I'm not going to let them down. Wow. That is really interesting. This is the first time I ever heard Brady compare himself to Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky, and he should. <laughs> He's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of all-time athletes in the history of this country. So he's, I think that's a really big chip for him. Will that chip carry into this year? Seems like it will because everybody came back. Also, Tom Brady had to talk about Aaron Rodgers and the potential to come back because he just played golf with him in Montana. 
Aaron Rodgers, you just played golf with him. You expect him to be playing this season in Green Bay? I certainly expect him to be playing. I don't know the intricate details of that uh, relationship, but it's hard to find a great quarterback in the NFL. You know, that's just the reality. And Aaron's been one of the premier quarterbacks since he came into the league. He obviously got drafted with immense talent, watched Brett Favre, developed his own skill set within the game, and has been one of the most efficient productive winning quarterbacks ever to play for a franchise. So in some respects, it's very difficult to see, you know, someone else move on, but you know, at the same time, it's there's, there's business elements that nobody really knows and what was said or what was thought about or relationships that are important to us emotionally. I think some things still need to get worked out over the next probably couple weeks, two to two to six weeks for the opener. But yeah, I, I definitely see Aaron playing. Yeah, that's a really interesting comment. So Tom Brady's talking more than ever. And then the big one, remember, Tampa plays at New England this year. Brady is making a return to Foxborough. Here's what he thinks. What does October 3rd mean to you? October 3rd, I know that date, you know, going back to Foxborough for, for the last time probably in my career. So there's a lot to happen between now and then. And obviously I know the challenge of beating a great team like that, great organization, great players, so many friends, uh, that are still on the team that were my and still are my brothers. You know, unfortunately, we're just going to be on different sides of, of, this, of the stadium this time around. So I got a lot of familiarity playing in the stadium. You know, we got to first get to training camp, see where we're going to be, and then get through the first three weeks of the year. But I'm sure it'll be a great uh, opportunity for me to go back to a place that I know as well as anywhere. So uh, it'll be a great it'll be a great day for football. I'm happy Bobby got that sound. I think that's really good sound from Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, on an array of different topics that was on SiriusXM's Town Hall. Really enjoyed listening to that. Uh, NBA is over. Uh, we're pretty much done with the NBA. It ends hard. Giannis got the MVP of the NBA Finals. That was big, and now we're waiting for training camp as we'll be over in Henderson next weekend. Excited to be there and to see the Raiders up close and how they look, and a lot of big topics that are happening now in sports. I'm going to spend some time a little bit later on. Jacob Hester, who played in the NFL, he was a fullback for the Chargers and the Broncos. What a great career at LSU. He's going to come on to talk about what's happening in college football in the SEC. Man, could Oklahoma. That story hit when I got off the air yesterday, and I spoke about it all last night, so I'm all prepped up on that. How negatively this could affect the Mountain West. If the SEC gets Oklahoma and Texas on top of Alabama, Florida, LSU, Auburn, everybody they have already, why would you watch anything else unless you're an alumni of those schools? I mean, every Saturday, wouldn't you be glued to the SEC and watch all their games from morning all the way to late at night? I mean, the fourth game on a Saturday in the SEC, the fourth-ranked game, will be as big as any other game in the country maybe other than an Ohio State game or a Clemson game. So that's, that's going to be a really important topic we're going to get into. Jerome in Vegas. Thanks for waiting, Jerome. Start us off. Go ahead. Yeah, I got my shot in the first month and took my 89-year-old mom there, too. And, yeah, no problem. I don't even know anybody that even had the virus. So get the shot. I didn't even know anything about the shot. I was watching my mom at the time. Oh, she's done. I mean, it's that yeah. easy. Jerome, thanks for the call. We're not doing a show on getting the shot for your mom or your friend. We're not. We're doing it on sports. So I appreciate your call. You didn't understand what I was talking about. What I asked about earlier in the show is, do you care about the vaccination rate of the Raiders? Will it affect you as a fan? 
it's a pretty simple topic. Okay, I, there's a lot of stories out there, and there's some really negative stories, and I hope everybody's safe. I hope everybody's family members are safe. I'm trying to bring it back to sports. It's a huge topic today. It's the number one topic in all of sports. The NFL today said COVID outbreaks could lead to forfeits. How does that affect you as a Raider fan? In my mind, the Raiders were close to forfeiting a game last year under this new protocol. So it's an important topic, and it's a framed, frameable topic because Las Vegas is a city that's going to have a lot of problems with COVID because we got a lot of people coming here who are not vaccinated. So let's tie it into the Raiders and what you think as a Raider fan and what you would expect with the Raiders' vaccination rate. And are you concerned about potential forfeits, not only with the Raiders but around the league? 702-365-9200. I wait around all day for this show, and I hope every day it's good. I put everything I have into it, and I hope to hear from you so I don't have to hear from me for the entire two hours. Let's go. Raiders camp is right around the corner. Uh, right around the corner for us, once a Raider, always a Raider. Rich Bartluski, who played for the team as a tight end for the Raiders in 1990, will join us, and we're looking for Tom Flores' calls as Coach Flores is going into Canton, Ohio, in the Hall of Fame here in a couple of weeks. Do you have a memory of Tom Flores, an important memory that you want to talk about? Tom Flores, one of the most influential members in Raider history going into the Hall of Fame. The monologue brought to you by PTs, 64-plus locations in the Valley. Also, Golden Entertainment owns the Strat and Arizona Charlies. Well, they'll be rocking with football promotions all year long. Well, I'm not uh, at liberty to give any statistics on our vaccinations. I can speak for myself and the coaches. We've all had our vaccinations, and you know, I think uh, our players have bought in. I think we're as good as anybody in the league or better. We hope to have every man vaccinated, and most importantly, every man as safe as possible when the season starts. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, I was just at the M. I tweeted it out at JT the Brick. They put a whole bunch of food in front of me. I did not eat it all. I did not eat all of it, but they wanted to take a photo. It's at JT the Brick. A lot of interesting remarks. No, I did not eat it all. I did not drink that entire milkshake. Rich Bartlutsky, kind enough to join us. Rich, out of Fresno State, was a Raider in 1990 for the L.A. Raiders, former tight end, once a Raider, always a Raider. How are you, Rich? Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, JT, I'm blessed more than I deserve. Thanks for having me, my friend. You got it. Tell me about becoming a Raider, but first Fresno State. When, at an early age, when did you know you had an opportunity in high school to maybe play in college at Fresno State where you excelled? Really, with the end of my junior year, I was more of a, a late bloomer and um, got onto the recruiting bandwagon there with a science teacher who played softball at Fresno. But I uh, had, had recruiting offers for, from a lot of schools until my SAT scores hit. And, uh, and then Fresno was, was really my best option. And that's where I wanted to go all along. That's interesting. I'm happy you shared that with you. So was that something as you were trying to figure out your academics, you're playing sports, 
where you really set a goal to play in college, and that was really important with your SAT score to find a place that would fit you comfortably where you could excel and, you know, grow up as a young man and, and, and figure out your education. Absolutely. It was a really big learning curve and um, because I wasn't recruited sophomore, early junior year and had to really do a lot of shifting around in my academics and uh, work with a lot of the guidance counselors for my senior year so I would be uh, eligible and uh, be accepted into a, into a university. What happened at Fresno State where you really excelled? Where did it click for you overall with your studies and obviously on the field and blocking? You're a big guy. You're a big guy, and your size was your strength there. What was your strength at Fresno State? At blocking as well. And I was mm-hmm. more of a receiver in, in high school, and then I filled out. I started college at 195 and ended up at 252. Wow. And just uh, played for an amazing coach, Jim Sweeney. We all thought he was insane. Um, hardest man ever, kind of in the, the model of Bear Bryant. But uh, he made a man out of all of us to adversity. And I was just blessed to play for him. And then, you know, I had a lot of units. I changed from major too many times. And ultimately, it took me eight years to graduate. Usually, they'll call those guys doctors. Uh, <laughs> But mine, I had to go back after I was finished uh, my athletic career and then uh, got a degree in, in business. So very fortunate. That sounds great. Really dedicated. Rich Bartlutsky joins us, former tight end for the Silver and Black. So you're undrafted. How do you end up a Raider? What's the decision for Al Davis? Tell me how you came to the Raiders in that first meeting with Al Davis. Had several opportunities uh, at the end of the draft, and I had a I broke my junior year. I broke my ankle. So I played with a broken bone in my ankle my entire junior year. And so that really questioned whether I was going to have the opportunity to play in the league. And uh, Fred Belitnikoff, of all people, came up to Fresno and worked me out in the spring. And uh, what an honor it was to have him come uh, personally work me out. And um, the Raiders were the best opportunity. You know, I grew up uh, a Steelers fan and uh, was born in Western PA and really raised in Chowchilla, California, just north of Fresno. Uh, in uh, in Raider and Niner country. And, uh, you know, to have him come work me out and have the opportunity to join the Raiders uh, was, was humbling, to say the least. You know, I talk to Fred almost every day. I'm going back to Canton with him for Coach Flores for his induction into the Hall of Fame. Rich, I want to stay with that. I mean, one of the greatest receivers of all time, Super Bowl MVP, a Hall of Famer, and he shows up to work you out. What was your best memory of that workout, knowing that Bolitnikov had a little bit more experience than you? Uh, wait a minute. You're, you're here to see me. <laughs> uh, it was just jaw dropping. How, how, how often do you get a potential hall of famer? Uh, probably one of the greatest receivers of all time. Yeah. Uh, drop on your doorstep just to come see you. Rich so, Bartlutsky joins. He was as yeah. smooth and as laid back and as, as comfortable and just, just a regular guy. Awesome. Rich, as we wrap this up, what, what were your fondest memories of playing for the Raiders in that 90s season? Maybe your favorite teammate and the game that stands out with you the most. So I got really close to Steve Birdline that year. I ended up playing with him with the Cowboys a little bit. So we were pretty tight. Uh, we had a, a mutual friend um, uh, from college uh, that, I, that I knew. And uh, so we, we, we hit it off really well. Uh, the game I remember most was probably my signature moment as a Raider. Uh, Bo Jackson's longest run from scrimmage. It's on the ESPN 30 for 30 where we're in double tight. He runs toss 90, reverses field, and then uh, I hit David Fulcher in the backfield, who was wow. a 250-pound safety, hit him, and Bo goes for 92 and gets caught on the two. 
And we were playing. I've the seen. Uh, wait a sec. I've seen that highlight a hundred times. So to look for your block there, and I'm sure there was a no any time where Bo went that many yards and got caught. Yeah, I, I don't ever recall Bo getting caught from behind except that time. And if if you remember, that was also the year two games or two weeks later he hurt his hip. Right. Yeah. You know, and I live in Alabama, and that that man is folklore here. Yeah, Rich, what are you doing with your life now? You said you had your business degree. What's going on with you now? I work, and I spent the last 18 years at a medical device company called Boston Scientific. Blessed mm-hmm. to be there, and I'm just very fortunate. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting, living in Alabama, being a Steelers fan, a family of Steelers fans, I have a huge Raiders fan of my son, Andrew. And uh, he's a big, big, big fan of the Raiders, and we're looking forward to being with the alumni group here in uh, two weeks out in Vegas. So hopefully you'll be around there. Yeah, I'm going to be a part of that and emceeing a part of that. So I'll see you out there, Rich, and introduce myself. Really appreciate you doing this. I can't wait to see you in Vegas in a couple of weeks. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity, JT. Really do appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Rich Bartlutsky, who's a former tight end with the Raiders, played one year for the Raiders. And why do we have him on? Once a Raider, always a Raider. And I'll never forget that. I'm going to go right back now to YouTube and see that Bo Jackson 92-yard run and that block that released Bo. He mentioned that two weeks later, that was the end of Bo Jackson. You know, he played baseball with the hip, but remember what happened with the Bo injury against Cincinnati at the Coliseum that changed everything, changed everything in that decade for the Raiders and what Bo Jackson could have been as a football player after that if he didn't suffer that injury and Rich was his teammate. Thanks to Rich Bartlewski for coming on. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Brought to you by the M Resort, Casino and Spa. And remember, go check out the pool. It's July into August. When you get to the end, get outside and go have that Dole Whip or go have a Modelo. Sit out at the pool, get a cabana, order some food. It's the home. It's the official hotel of the Silver and Black. We live in a world now where not everybody does much research, you know. You go in the bathroom and you hear somebody on the phone in the third stall and, and that's your source. <laughs> Just calling it like it is. And that's the headline. I think people hear what they want to hear. And then, and then unfortunately, a lot of people write what they want to write, you know, that, that will fit the story that they need. And it's just not accurate. I never, I've never had a problem with name image like I, I think it should have been more. I don't. If I'd have been the czar, I'd have done it differently, because I don't think everybody's going to have any op- much opportunity with it. Some will, but but not everybody will have you know opportunity. I would have liked to have seen it tied to graduation, education, name, image, and likeness. Think of that: name, image, and likeness, and all the great, great players. All the great players who have played and never had the opportunity to make money on their name, image, and likeness. Isn't that incredible that it's all of a sudden going to start now on the clock? Now in 2021, we're going to pay college football players for their name, image, and likeness. Why now? Why didn't they figure this out 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 11 years ago? It's incredible what happens out of nowhere. And college football now is a money grab. 
It's incredible what's happening in this sport. JT, back with you. You just heard Steph McKenzie mention Salmon Ash, SalmonAshLaw.com. That was Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. He's really concerned about it. I'm a little bit concerned about it, and I want to talk to a legendary college football running back who went on to play fullback in the pros. What a career at LSU. Went on to play for the Chargers and the Broncos. Jacob Hester, kind enough to join us. And he's been at SEC Media Days as we get to talk about Texas and Oklahoma. Jacob, let's start off. How was SEC Media Days? Because we just had the backdrop of this real big breaking news story. Yeah, so everything was going great. It was kind of like a normal media day. You got some new coaches coming in. You're trying to learn their personality and Shane Beamer. And you got Josh Heupel and all these new guys. And, of course, everybody wants to hear from Nick Saban. So it was going like most media days do. And then all of a sudden, about 2.30 yesterday, uh, I'm charging my phone in like the Sirius XM area. We just got off the radio, so I don't have my phone on me. And I see the beat writers start to kind of scatter a little bit. They're like walking in circles. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, who got fired? Who messed up? Who did something? And you go get your phone, and all of a sudden, the news breaks that Oklahoma and Texas are trying to join the SEC. And, of course, Texas A&M was at the podium, right, Texas rival from the Big 12 days, and Texas A&M, Ross Bjork's the only athletic director that came to media days, and so perfect storm for everything to happen, and it was really all the buzz this morning on Radio Row as well, so it dominated the headlines, as you can expect, and I felt like we've heard this, you know, you know, every eight to ten years, it feels like something like this pops up, but this one felt different. This one felt like it has a real chance of happening, so We'll see, but it definitely dominated all the rest of the headlines at SEC Media Day. Well, do you think if the SEC goes to a power 16-team conference with Oklahoma and Texas on top of the legendary teams they have already, I mean, what is the upside other than the SEC? What do you think they're thinking around the college football world and the Pac-12 and the ACC in the Big Ten? I mean, why watch some of these other games on Saturday unless you're an alumni of a certain school because you know the best product is not only going to be in the SEC, but now the SEC on steroids. Yeah, it is a completely dominant move if they make the move and add Oklahoma and Texas. You're talking about two blue blood programs. I know Texas hasn't won their conference in a while, but still it is the brand of Texas. It is the money of Texas. Oklahoma's been in what seems like every college football playoff since we switched to four teams. Of course, they had success in the BCS era as well. So, I mean, you're adding power players, and I don't know how they would do it. I don't know if it would be two 18 divisions, four 14 pods, if you want to call it that. I'm not sure how they would balance it out, but it put everybody else on notice. And if it does happen, I don't know what the rest of the college football world will do, right? Will the ACC and Big Ten try to get together? What does the Big 12 do? It feels like the Big 12 kind of died a little bit yesterday. Do you try to go get some markets in Houston and SMU and try to add them to your conference? The market size is great, but those teams don't move the needle, not when you lose at Texas and Oklahoma. The Pac-12 tried the Pac-16 a couple of years ago, obviously, with Texas and Oklahoma and A&M and all those teams, and it didn't work out for them. And I would say that conference probably has lost some steam and it hasn't certainly gained it. So if this does go through, I mean, you're talking about the power conference and beyond with those 16 teams. And so – I would love to know what the Big Ten and, and the ACC, maybe maybe they're getting together today and they're having those conversations. Maybe mm-hmm. Oklahoma State is like, wait a minute, we don't want to be here in this Big 12. Will, will anybody take us? And so 
it could really be the wild, wild west, almost like it was a couple of years ago with some realignment. Jacob Hester joins us. You live this life as being a local in Louisiana and playing for a power. So I want to ask you, how do you think it changes recruiting? Because Nick Saban's recruiting a lot in the South and the SEC. I'm sure he gets players we know from Texas and other parts of the country. How would it help Oklahoma and obviously a team like Texas for them to get the players that they do in state and then be able to go recruit in Florida and Alabama and the South? Do you think it makes that big of a difference for them? Because Lincoln Riley's already getting great players. Yeah, it's very interesting, and it's funny. You know, Coach Saban was in the state of Texas at a, at a you know touchdown club when he said that our quarterback's almost made seven figures from the NIL stuff, and he hasn't even started a game. I think he knew exactly what he was doing when he said that, being in that state, because you're right. That is a state that everyone tries to recruit. I know where I played, LSU, we've had a lot of success in Texas. Now, you add Texas A&M to the SEC, I'd love to see what those numbers look like as far as the success that other schools have had because A&M uses the SEC logo and the moniker to be able to go into these high schools in Texas and say, hey, we're part of the greatest conference in the world, Texas isn't. So if Texas joins the league, what happens to Texas A&M? What happens to LSU trying to come into the state of Texas? I actually think it would be a benefit for a team like Oklahoma. Oklahoma would maybe be able to expand their footprint. You mentioned it. Lincoln Riley's getting kids left and right. I think they actually would actually probably open up their footprint, maybe to some areas they've never really been able to go into and dominate. So it really changes the landscape. I think the map would kind of be all over the place because there's so many teams, Arkansas being one of them. I know Arkansas is not the power that we know from the LSUs and the rest of the teams like that, the Floridas and the Alabamas, but Arkansas tries to go into the state of Texas. So you're adding another player within that state that has the SEC logo on their chest, and teams are going to have to rethink their footprint. Jacob Hester is our guest. So you went on to an NFL career, and there was no NIL name, image, and likeness. Do you just expect this to be the wild, wild west? I know agents who represent some of the greatest pro football players of all time, and they're learning this business, and they can't even go to a conference and learn this business. I mean, this is so brand new that there are professors in colleges in sports business and marketing that can't even teach it because they don't understand it. So I don't know how the NCAA and everybody else is going to be able to kind of govern this and keep an eye on it when all of a sudden they see quarterbacks getting paid an enormous amount and a backup offensive lineman getting close to nothing. Do you think this NIL name, image, and likeness could tear apart some locker rooms in an isolated basis? Right, it's a great question. I don't know if it's going to tear apart locker rooms because – even in the NFL, like I was fortunate enough to start six years in the NFL, but I was a fullback, right, in the, at the NFL level. I knew the third-string quarterback was going to make more money than me. Now, he wasn't going to play it down. He wasn't going to be in there, you know, grinding away, trying to block outside linebackers like James Harrison. That was going to be me, and he was going to make more money than me. Like, in NFL locker rooms, it was understood. Now, can college locker rooms be mature enough to understand that? I think more than people are giving them credit for but you're right about it being the wild, wild west. We caught up with Washington State's AD a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, yeah, a company can just slide into the DMs of any of our players and they can create a deal. And I'm like, wait a minute. So there's not even a process to like go through compliance, not even to say, like, hey, we're doing this. Like, you don't have to be okay with it, but, but we're doing this? Like, no, we don't, we don't have anything in place right now, which is absolutely wild to me. And then you start talking about all these states getting involved, and I'll tell you how different it is across the place, right? In the state of Texas, you can't wear 
your team uniform and logo and likeness in any kind of ad. At Clemson, they said you can't do that as well. Well, in the state of Louisiana, all their universities, if they get permission, they can wear their LSU jersey. They can wear their Louisiana Lafayette jersey, hat, helmet, whatever it might be. That gives them an advantage. I know especially for football because we're not something like a basketball or baseball where you see our face all the time. No, you know us behind the helmet. So we need some help, right? We need that logo. We need that helmet next to us. And so it's different from every single place. Every state's got their own set of rules. And we're talking about states that have teams in the same conference, and you're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. So I'm all for being able to capitalize on your name, image, and likeness and creating a YouTube channel and jerseys and whatever it might be. But the fact that we don't have a governing body governing right now, that makes me a little nervous. Hey, Jacob, finally, I'm in Vegas with the Raiders, and, you know, you played against the Raiders in Oakland all those years. Give me a memory of you going into the black hole where the black hole is leaning over as you're going through warm-ups and you're looking around. It's Chargers, Raiders, Coliseum, 105, insanity, and those Raider Nation fans are screaming at you. Oh, see, I absolutely love that because I come <laughs> from a place like LSU, like an SEC school, so I've loved going to the swamp and having oranges thrown at me. I mean, it is always the best, playing on the road, going to a place where everyone in the stadium hates you. You get the one-finger salute when you're driving the bus into the Coliseum. The fans in Oakland were as close to college fans, right? You did uh, the dress-up. You had the face painted. You had the crazy fans. of was kind of like a student section. I absolutely loved playing against the Raiders. The only thing I didn't like about playing against the Raiders is if it was still Oakland A's time and the infield was out there because it was <laughs> – just slippery as all get out. You could never get your footing. But you know what? It made Oakland a little unique. And I can be honest with you, when we played Oakland at home, the old Los Angeles Raider fans showed up in San Diego as well. It's about 50-50. So we played against them home and away. Yeah, I can't wait for you to see Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, let alone SoFi. It's amazing what's happened with those two franchises now with these new stadiums, the two big new stadiums. And as you know, neither fan base had fans last year. Now they're going 100% yeah. capacity. It's going to make it a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I've been aged a couple of times in this interview. One, you said BCS <laughs> champion. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening wondering what in the world is the BCS. <laughs> and the second part is the stadium I played my pro career in is now a bed of rocks. I saw that the other day. So the stadium's not even standing anymore. It makes me sad. So getting a little bit older here. You do great work, man. We'll catch you on SCC Radio, Channel 374, ESPNU Radio, on Sirius XM. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it on such a busy day with this Oklahoma and Texas news. Absolutely. Anytime. Always a pleasure. You got it. Jacob Hester, really good. He had a hell of a career. He was a great player in college. I mean, wow. I, I look back at his Wikipedia. He was a captain for LSU, team captain. And look at this, his senior year was 2007. He had 225 rushes for 1,103 yards and 12 touchdowns. Also a touchdown catch. He could do it all. He was taken in the third round by the Chargers and played a while in the league there for the Chargers his final year with Denver. So appreciate him coming on as we talk more about what's happening with name, image, and likeness. But even more important than that, we're going to get into Texas and Oklahoma. It affects everybody. It affects everybody. Where I'm sitting in Vegas with the Mountain West, the Pac-12, it affects Notre Dame. It affects all the teams up north, every team that plays up north in the Midwest, but especially 
back east. I mean, if you're sitting here now and you're a college football fan, you have to realize that it's going to be all about the SEC if this isn't blocked. And I think there are a couple of teams that will block Oklahoma from going and will block, obviously, the teams that are there in the SEC already that beat them there are going to block them, including Texas A&M. This isn't a slam dunk, but more and more as we head into the weekend, we're starting to see that Oklahoma and Texas are fighting for their future and money and relevancy, and they'd even give up on a conference like the Big 12 with all that history, all those legendary programs and teams. Man, there is no loyalty. There is no loyalty when it comes to the NCAA, the Power Five conferences, Maybe you should just follow a small small school and go to a tailgate and enjoy it. If you got anything you want to jump in on this topic, just hit me up at JT the Brick. Best way to do it as we continue with this conversation. The rich get richer and everyone's going to be left behind in college football.